Hey, this is Joe Williams, and I'm the lead pastor at New Life Christian Church in Bella Vista, Arkansas. Thanks for tuning in to our weekly podcast. Whether you're a seasoned follower of Christ or just now beginning to explore what being a Christian is all about, our prayer is that this message would strengthen your faith. Now sit back and let's open up the Bible and see what God has to say this week. Well, that was pretty nice, and I think we'll let him keep his diploma. What do you think? Shall we, shall we allow that? Oh, wow, it is just a real delight for Miss Carla, my beautiful wife over here, for us to be here today. I think it's been 20 or 30 pounds ago when we were here before, and uh, so it's just a delight uh, to be back with you. Can I connect some dots as we start today? One of my college teachers, uh, way back before the earth's crust hardened, you know, was a guy by the name of Don Evans. Does anybody in the house remember Don and Lois Evans? Okay, let me make another connection if I can. I was baptized into Christ on February the 4th, 1962 in Council Bluffs, Iowa. We, my father had started a new church in that town, and so we didn't have a baptistry in the farmhouse that we were meeting in. So our baptisms took place downtown at First Christian Church, and the preacher's name was Dick Hogan. Does anybody remember Dick Hogan? All right. And uh, it just so happens that my wife was in junior high school when her preacher of her church was a guy named Ron Carter. Does anybody? Okay. All right. And uh, Joe, as he mentioned, was a former student, but I need to tell you this, not only in the undergraduate school, but also in graduate school. In his master's degree, I teach part-time for Lincoln Christian Seminary as well and had the privilege of having him there. In fact, his uh, mom and dad, his stepmom and dad, Dick Williams, and his uh, stepmom, Lee, are in our life group, which we'll meet tonight at 6 o'clock in Joplin. So there's several connections we have, and we're just delighted to take advantage of those. Um, as I mentioned, it's been some time since we'd been here at Bella Vista. I served for 28 years at the college, then left, and we were at a church in Denver for about three years, never thinking we'd be back in this part of the country. And lo and behold, we're here. You know, you just don't want to say never, right, to the Lord. So now I'm saying, I never want to minister in Honolulu, Lord, ever. I never, ever want to do that at all. But hey, since we're back in the area and we're here today with you, love what you've done to the place. Wow, this is really something. Remember being in here before? But uh, this, what you've done is just a delightful, and so it's good to share with you today. Well, Joe told me that you are doing kind of a verse-by-verse study in the book of James under the theme of faith that works. And I want to take advantage of that and just preach this next little section that he assigned to me today. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you might want to turn to James chapter 1, if you will. And uh, let me just say, as you're turning there, getting that ready for us to read in just a few minutes, the book of James is what we call wisdom literature. It reads very much like the book of Proverbs, short, pithy statements of general truth, where the subject kind of jumps around and hops here and there a little bit. It's very parallel to the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, probably because his brother wrote it, James. And so when you look at this book, you have to deal with kind of wisdom literature. Our oldest son preaches in Indianapolis. He's 40 years old now. How in the world did that happen? In fact, his oldest daughter, our eldest grandchild, turned 16 a week ago, so if you're in Indianapolis, watch out. She's driving. But anyway, so um, 
His favorite book, Casey's favorite book of the Bible to preach from was the book of James when he started out his ministry years ago because it was just so nitty-gritty. It was just so down-to-earth. It was just so very practical. And that's what's rich about the book of James. We call it wisdom literature, and we see this all the time. In a world of tweets, though I've heard that's on a decline, Disney's trying to buy it. I don't know if you knew that. But anyway, that's on a little bit of a decline, but people still tweet and certainly do social media and certainly have bumper stickers on their car. That's the book of James. Wisdom literature that comes to us in little bits and pieces. So I put a few of these together for us today to kind of get a feel since you've slept since you were here last and we need to kind of re-up with the book of James. For instance, I put 10 of these down. This old secular proverb, you've heard this before, look before you leap. You ever said it? You ever heard it? Sure. It urges some level of caution in life. Here's another one, haste makes waste. My dad took that one along for the ride and would say, if you didn't have time to do it right the first time, what makes you think you're going to have time to do it right the second time? You've heard that. Here's the third one. Don't, take, don't wait for six strong men to take you to church. Okay, you're thinking with me, aren't you? Yeah. We call them pallbearers. Okay. Uh, here's one, and somebody finished it. A penny saved is... Yeah, but this person said a penny saved is a government oversight. That's what that is. I like Beth Moore, one of her teachings to women. She said, submission is ducking so God can hit your husband. There you go. Now that'll preach, that'll preach, okay. They asked little kids in elementary school to finish these. So here was a secular proverb, wisdom literature. Better to be safe than, what do we usually say? Sorry, except a kid wrote, better to be safe than... Punch a fifth grader. Yeah, that could get you in big trouble on the playground for sure. Here's the one. A penny saved is, this student wrote, not much. Yeah, that's right. Another student wrote, when the blind leadeth the blind, get out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. When we were in Denver for those three short years, I pulled up behind a car one day at Highlands Ranch Parkway in University, and the bumper sticker in front of me said, honk if you love Jesus. Text while you drive, and you'll meet him. Okay, good advice, good advice. Now, this last Thursday night, we went to the Life Choices Banquet in Joplin. This is a medical, Christian medical facility that helps people in need in pregnancies and things like that. It was their big fundraiser, and we had an old Razorback coach as our speaker by the name of Lou Holtz. Does anybody remember Lou Holtz? You know, I can hardly understand him on ESPN. You know, he slurs his words together so bad, but... He was really good, and he was really funny. And one of his little wisdom literature pieces that came our way was this one. He was talking with a friend. He was bragging on his wife, actually, how his, his wife is his best friend. And he said, no, your wife's not your best friend. Your dog's your best friend. No, my, my, my wife is my best He said, I can prove it to you. Put your dog and your wife in the trunk of your car. Shut it. Come back the next day, see which one is most glad to see you. Okay, well, I guess old Luke Holtz has it right. I don't know. Wisdom literature. This is wisdom literature, and I want to read chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. I call this today a duped faith. 
You don't want your faith to be duped, do you? You don't want a deceived faith. So let's read the Scriptures. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, and whenever it's in the plural, you know he means the sisters in the church too. It's just like brethren. It means both genders. So know this, Christians, let every person be quick to hear. How many of you are already feeling just a little bit convicted? Okay. This is not my favorite verse in the Bible because I'm a preacher. I get paid to talk, okay? So this is hard. Everyone quick to hear, slow to speak. We're both 63 years old now, and we're finding that sometimes we're not very wise, that, that, that we, don't, we speak without any filters on, and we're just, both of us have said more than once, uh, another couple birthdays, just take duct tape and put it right here, okay? Slow to speak, slow to anger. Don't raise your hand. Does anybody in the house have anger issues? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with humility. Now, when he says implanted word, our default setting is B-I-B-L-E. But actually, they wouldn't have known that because James is one of the earliest documents in the New Testament. Maybe the earliest. Could have been written as early as 45 A.D., 15-some years after Jesus was resurrected. Um, Maybe Galatians, maybe 1 Thessalonians, it's hard to know. But they didn't have a completed New Testament. So when it says, receive with meekness the implanted word, I think it means the gospel, the good news story of Jesus Christ. Should the good news story of Jesus Christ, received with meekness into your soul, affect how you hear? Affect how you speak? Affect road rage? Maybe so. Verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's, he's like, 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 like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forget what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, now he'll use the same phrase in chapter 2. I imagine Joe will get there in a few weeks. Maybe next week Matt Proctor will, perhaps. I don't know. He's our president. He'll be down here to speak next week. So, law of liberty. It's the gospel once again. What is the law of liberty? What is the law that gives liberty to you? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you persevere, earlier in your study, you knew about count it all joy when you counter various trials for the testing of your faith produces perseverance, steadfastness. He says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Now, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious. I've often thought that would be a good phrase to put on the front door of a church. As people are walking in. So you think you are? Well, let's just see. If you think you're religious and do not bridle your tongue. Then we're back to speech again. Wisdom literature just all over the map. That person deceives his heart. His religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God. Now, I'd like you to just think, is that what you want? Do you want a faith that's pure in an impure world? Do you want a faith that's undefiled? Would it be worth coming to church today for to get that? I want a faith that's pure and undefiled. Well, here it is. To visit, it actually means to care for the widows and the orphans and in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. A lot of practical stuff in that section. Let me tell you why I call it a duped faith. 
Because three times, if you look at the paragraph previous to our text today, it uses the word deceived, duped. Deceived, deceived, deceived. If we were to back up today to verse 16 that you looked at last week, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. The word deceived there is the Greek word planao. It's where we get our English word planet. And the ancient astronomers, as they looked out into the heavens, they noticed that planets moved. They had rotation, unlike stars that remain fixed. So what does it mean to be deceived? Like a planet. It means you moved. Sometimes you don't have to move much, do you? You just shifted in your thinking about Jesus or the Bible or God's way or... It just means moved, deceived. Then the word, it's a different Greek word, appears in verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. That's the Greek para-logizomai. The word logizomai has the word logos, word in it. And para means to, to, to set beside. So it's like here's the word of God and to be deceived means you moved over here. It means somebody derailed you over here. So a different word, but still in English, deceived. And then it appears a third time down in verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives. Once again, same English word, different Greek word, apotao. So three different words that emphasize deception. Do you want a duped faith? I remember a faculty staff devotional at the college one time that was given by a very bright preacher in our area. And here's how the devotion began. Would you rather deceive or be deceived? And I thought, and option C would be? I didn't like those odds. We don't want to be duped, do we? No. And so this is what I came from Joplin, Missouri to tell you today. A faith that works, that's your theme, right? A faith that works will not be duped. So maybe before we're done today, some of you need to think about getting unduped. Because a faith that works will not be duped. And here's what I noticed in these three little paragraphs in my English Standard Version Bible that was on the screen. It looks to me like there's kind of a major controlling metaphor in each of those three paragraphs. I think he deals with this idea of tongue. I think he deals with our ears. And I think he deals with our hearts. Let me just walk down through that. Verses 19, 20, and 21, I think I would say it this way. We can, if we're not careful, be duped with our tongues. The tongue gets us into a world of trouble. He says it in verses 19 through 21. He'll pick it back up in verse 26. And the longest section of tongue in the book of James is chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. So previews for coming attractions. That's a rather lengthy section on this gets us into a bucket of trouble, does it not? So one of the ways I can dupe myself in regard to faith is by somehow being duped about tongues. It starts out by saying, let everyone be quick to hear. You know, the Bible is big on your ears. Maybe that's why God gave you two of these and one of these. The Bible's really big on ears. Now, in our day of screenagers, you know, everything on the screen. In our day of social media, in our day, we say things like, oh, you remember so much of what you hear, but you remember so much more of what you hear and see. Oh, but you remember so much more of what you hear, see, and do. So if God knew that, why does the Bible have so much to say about hearing? Israel called itself to worship this way. Shema, O Israel. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love Him with everything in you. Hear. In the New Testament, the book of Romans, Paul says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the krematos, the spoken word of Christ. So, the Bible's pretty big on hearing. In fact, we don't even know how to speak unless we hear, do we? I can prove it to you. How is it that a little child learning to talk can have a Texas accent or a Bostonian accent or a New York that has an R at the end of every word? Uh, how does this work? Because they heard it. That's how they heard it. So Paul says, no, James rather says that be careful because the key to speaking is hearing and that's why you need to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Boy, we live, would you agree with me that in regard to Jesus' teaching, He said that the time is coming when the love of most people will grow cold. Have we entered such an age? I mean, everybody seems so angry. Some of the racism in our country, so angry. I took the Taylor Johnson temperament analysis once. And the counselor going over it with me said, well, you're pretty much in the graph for most of these areas, except one. You're kind of off the charts. I said, what's that? He said, hostility. I said, I am not. And after I beat him up, no, I'm, I just, um, I said, I don't think of myself as an angry person. I, he said, oh, it's your commitment to God and the help of the Bible and the Holy Spirit. But basically, you have a short fuse, which means I need to put duct tape over my trap. That's what that means, because it does not work out. You ever notice, we never do anger very well. Jesus, when He cleanses the temple, He does it really well. But we never do this very well. So when we're duped about our tongues, it's because we haven't engaged our ears. I'll be real honest with you. I can't read this passage without thinking of something in our lives. And I'm going to make my wife cry right now. Her daddy died many years ago. He was a dairy farmer, he had emphysema, and on Christmas Eve day, that's not a good day to die, December 24th, 1984, up in Lamar, Missouri, he drew his last struggling breath. And so a few days later, we had, a, after Christmas, we had the funeral service, and the man who had been there for several years as the preacher of their church did the service, did a wonderful job. He asked me, do you want to say anything at the funeral? No, this is my father-in-law, I don't know, huh? I'm too emotional. And that rascal, we got to the graveside and he said, now Mark, why don't you say a few words? I thought, your honorarium just went in the ditch, buddy boy. I couldn't think anything else, could I, honey? So I said, James 1, 19. And if I was putting an epitaph on my father-in-law's tombstone, this would be the verse because he was quick to hear. Oh, I guess in his pre-Christian days that was not the case, but I only knew him that way. He just didn't, he wasn't a man of very many words. He just was a very good listener. We just came through his birthday on September the 19th. He'd be well over 100 years old if he were alive today. We miss him. We miss him. We would go to their house at 704 Cherry Street and Miss Carla and her mother would go off shopping. <laughs> I think that's in the Bible somewhere. I just haven't found it yet. I, it's got to be in here someplace. 
So dad and I would just talk. No, let me rephrase that. I would talk. He would just listen. It could be about theology or the church or ministry in Illinois or Bible college in Joplin or sports or... You know about what he mostly said? Here's what he usually said. Well, that's it. That's, that's pretty much what he said. Well, I'd give anything to hear that again. Well, if you want a faith that works, you better make Jesus Christ the Lord of this. Don't kid yourself. You say, well, I just slipped. I just made a mistake. You're a liar. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus said that by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. You check this out in Matthew 12. And Jesus said this. Does this scare anybody? On the day of judgment, men will give an account for every careless word they've uttered. How about that? That just thrill you? Wow. Yeah, we better put this under the Lordship of Christ. We don't want our tongues to be due. But I go to the next paragraph, verses 22 to 25, and I see this. We can be duped about our ears. If all we do is just hear, as important as hearing in the Bible is, if all we do is just hear and not do. See, Scripture not only embraces orthodoxy, what we believe, but also talks about orthoproxy, what we do. And one of my friends, Danny Curry, that's in Indianapolis, Indiana, he says this, the problem with teaching church people more Bible is this, they already know more Bible than they're living. Are you guilty? I am. I've been studying this book fairly technically for a long time. I know it too well. I teach preaching classes. I will hear this coming, if you count chapel, I will hear this coming week nine sermons. No, take that back. I'm preaching three of those. I will hear 12 sermons. And I think to myself, if I just keep preaching, maybe I can save myself. But that means I'm in a heap of trouble with God. Because to whom much has been given, much will be required. So I better care not only about this tongue, I want to do myself about my ears. He likens hearing and not doing to a secular illustration and then a sacred illustration. The secular illustration is a mirror. Not like our mirrors today that look back at us. Somebody said when we're young, you know, we make faces at the mirror. When we're old, the mirror gets back at us. No, no. It's not one that looks back at us. In the ancient world, it was just polished brass. So yeah, you'd kind of look and kind of turn and look and see if you could see enough of yourself. And it was easy to walk away and forget what you look like. But the ridiculous of the illustration if it is even heightened in our day and time. So that's the secular illustration. The sacred illustration is to look into the sacred law. See, when I look into the gospel, when I look into the purity of Jesus Christ, when I look into, then all of a sudden I realize I can't fool him, can I? I can't dupe him, can I? So I better look into the law of liberty, the law that grants freedom, and somehow that'll make a difference in my ears. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the biggest moron of all? I'll tell you, it's a Christian who hears this book and goes out of church unchanged. 
That shouldn't happen. When, uh, I, I don't know where Joe is. I think he's doing grueling work in Honolulu or something. I, the, um, but we had the privilege of being in Honolulu some years ago at the Island Family Church. It's such a cool church. They have about 30 different ethnicities that worship together. So cool. So we're there doing slugging it out in missionary work, you know, in Honolulu. And uh, anyway, they gave us a copy of the Jesus book. Now, the Jesus book is Hawaiian pidgin language. You know what it says in this paragraph? Here's how it says it. You guys got to do them. You guys got to do them. <laughs> That's a pretty good translation. <laughs> I kind of like that. Our current United States Senate chaplain is an African-American man by the name of Dr. Barry Black. He's a Seventh-day Adventist person in faith, much like Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, but uh, before him, there was uh, Lloyd Ogilvie. Before them, there was Richard Halverson. Before the, it just goes back. But if you've got much uh, snow on the mountaintop up here, uh, you might recognize the name Peter Marshall. Way back in the day, there was a guy named Peter Marshall that was the United States Senate chaplain. And do you know what happened when he was United States Senate chaplain? The Senate asked him to give a lecture to them in the Senate hall of how to study the Bible. Wow! Are they around to vote for today? <laughs> and this is how he did it. I would have done it so differently and everybody would have just gone right to sleep. I would have brought in a wheelbarrow full of com commentaries and concordances and Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias. But here's how Peter Marshall did it. He got up to the Senate chamber and he addressed them this way. If you want to know how to study the Bible, I shall tell you. You open your New Testament to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and you begin to read. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And you read until the Bible tells you something to do. Then you close your Bible and you go out and you do it. Once you've done it, then you come back to your Bible reading and you pick up where you left off. And you read until the Bible tells you something else to do. And you close your Bible and you go out and you do it. And then when you've done it, you come back and you open up your Bible and you begin to resume reading where you left off. And, and he just went on like this for quite a little while. And then he said to the United States Senate, and by the time you will have read five chapters of Matthew's gospel, you will not only understand how to study the Bible, you will have changed the world. New vistas of understanding of this book are not opened up because you increase your brain power. They got all these games for us old people now, you know, how to increase your brain power. No, new vistas of understanding of this book, of this book, because it's different than all other books, New vistas of under are opened up when you walk through the door labeled obey. So don't be duped about your tongue. Don't be duped about your ears. Lastly, don't be duped about your heart. That's where all this starts anyway, doesn't it? In verse 26, that last paragraph, he kind of returns to this idea of bridling your tongue and not deceiving yourself or your religion is worthless. But then he gets down to the heart of it. If you want to know what's pure, I hope you do today. If you want to know what's undefiled, I hope you do today, then this is what it looks like. And you know what? I'm sort of amazed at verse 27, what he didn't say. 
I thought what he would say is, you know, it's great knowledge of the Scriptures and understanding and fighting for causes and speaking for those who have no voice and all of which are wonderful ministries. But what he said was two things. Two things that pleases God. Two. One, take care of people that can't take care of themselves. Widows, orphans. That's called social justice. Acts of mercy. Second, your personal piety. Your dignity of soul. You know what it's like, folks? It's like two oars to a rowboat. If you just use one of those... You're just going to go in circles. But if you use both social justice, acts of mercy, orphans and widows, along with personal piety and devotion to God and a clean heart, you're going to get somewhere. You're going to get somewhere. I would have to tell you this. I'm very encouraged by, like our banquet the other night when Lou Holtz spoke, I'm very encouraged by people that care for gals that are having unexpected pregnancies. I'm very glad for those that are speaking to issues of sex trafficking. I'm very glad for those that are trying to make a difference in the racism of our country. I'm very glad for all those social causes. But I need to tell you this. I need to be very honest with you. In your Bible, Old and New Testament, taking care of widows and orphans would outstrip most of those things hands down. I'm not denigrating the others. You understand? I'm not saying one thing against those. We've got students that are studying in a whole area, a degree called biblical justice. I'm all for it. But widows and orphans and keeping yourself pure, if you don't do that, your heart has been duped. You know one of the occupational hazards of being a Christian? (laughs) You can start taking this for granted. You can take the things of God to just be common Oh, yeah, went to church. We sang a song. Drums are kind of loud. They're working on it. They'll tell you that. But anyway, no, no. If I don't want my heart to be duped, I've got to make sure that it's it's not in sync with God's. How did it get to be October? Does anybody know? This is the 2nd of October. I mean, you know, next month is November. We have Thanksgiving. The next month is Christmas, and then we turn the corner on New Year. If, if Jesus tarries and we stay in relatively good health, we're going into 2017. And when we get to this point next year, in October of 2017, do you know what that will be? That will be the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther in Germany going to the church door at Wittenberg, Germany, and tacking on the church door. It's kind of an ancient Facebook. He's tacking on the church door 95 theses that he would debate with the church. And you know what i got to tell you about Martin Luther? He didn't like this book. He didn't like James. He thought, wait a minute, we're saved not by anything we do. We're saved by what Christ has done. Well, who would disagree with that? And yet James says, but if you've been saved by what Christ has done, then it's got to be real. It's got to be a faith that works. So Martin Luther would call this book of James a right strawy epistle, an epistle of straw. I'd like to give it a little more credibility than that today. 
I think Martin Luther was a wonderful reformer of the church. Praise God for this guy that went from being a lawyer to being an Augustinian monk. I think he helped us a great deal. But this book matters to you. It matters. So Howard Hendricks was a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary for years. He started teaching Christian education there in 1951. That's two years before I was born. He just passed away a few years ago. He lived up into his 80s, sharp as a tack in his uh, later years. But he had a formula for Christian maturity I'd like you to remember. I'd like you to talk about this today at lunch. Here's his formula for Christian maturity. Christian maturity equals, here's the formula, the Word of God plus obedience plus time. The Word of God plus obedience plus time. Howard Hendricks's view formula for Christian maturity. There's no substitute for just taking this word and walking out of here and say, okay, Lord, I, okay, okay. I, I don't want a duped faith. I, I don't want to be self-deceived. I, I want my tongue and my ears and my heart to be right before you. I want that. You know, what occurs to me as I close here is um, the guy who wrote this. He was James. Do you remember that Jesus had other brothers and sisters? I mean, the Bible tells us their names. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Those were his four brothers that Mary and Joseph had after Jesus was born. And his two sisters, Heather and Brittany. No, I, I don't know what their names are. But the Bible says sisters, so at least he had two. Those were in his family. I don't know what it would be like to grow up in the family of Jesus. Do you suppose Mary ever came to James and said, could you not clean your room like Jesus? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's the son of God. Anyway, I don't know what this would be like. But every one of us here today needs to thank God for James. Because you know why? James got unduped. He got unduped. John 7, 5 tells us James, along with his brothers, at one point in their lives, did not believe in Jesus. But in Acts chapter 15, he leads the Jerusalem church, the mother church. What made that difference? I'll tell you. We sang about it earlier, the resurrected king. The resurrected king made the difference. He moved from being a non-believer, getting unduped, John 7, 5, to leading the church in Jerusalem. And looking at this crowd this morning, you better thank the good Lord that he led that thing in Acts 15. Because most of you all look pretty Gentile to me. Now, maybe a few of you got Jewish blood running through your veins. I don't know. But James said, let's hear from Peter. Let's hear from Paul. You know, guys, I was reading the book of Amos the other day, and looks like God doesn't regard the face of man, that everybody can be a believer. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. And so they wrote a letter to Gentile converts to say, could you work with us because we're kind of we're, we're getting this from God. But the book, Acts chapter 15 is a huge chapter for you and me because the next chapter the gospel goes to Europe and most of us are descendants from that. And that gospel trailed all the way down to Bella Vista, Arkansas. And ultimately the deal is this, every one of us need to be unduped. Don't have a faith that's duped. Let me pray.